I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. My dad used to take me hunting on public hunting land in the late 80s, early 90s, and we would always, and I mean always, see the same affable elderly gentleman out there. The nicest man. A bird watcher. He would wear head-to-toe bright orange so no one would mistake him as prey and he stayed on the main roads and rode a bicycle. Just a fantastic human who spent hours talking to my dad about wildlife and life in general. All of game wardens in the area knew him and so did most, of not all of the regular hunters. Again, this man never went into the woods, wore bright orange which included a bright orange hat, and rode a bicycle. He practically glowed. 
One day, this wonderful man was found on the road, shot meticulously through the head. No one was ever arrested for his death. My father knew that no one could honestly state they thought he was a deer because of his precautions. We knew the poor man had been murdered. We never went hunting anywhere near there ever again. Three teenage witnesses were playing basketball from 6 to 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. The weather was clear and sunny, and they were across the street from a fire station in Fairview, New Jersey. While walking back to a friend's home, the reporting witness noticed that the area was empty of cars and people when normally there would be 50 to 100 people in the park. The witness stated that he observed rainbow colors out of the corner of his right eye. When he looked, he saw a shining silver metallic saucer with round tinted windows. He alerted his two friends who also saw the craft. He heard and felt whirring air and a roaring sound. His shirt was flapping as if in a five mile an hour wind, but there was no wind. They were paralyzed and could not run. They later arrived back at his friend's home with no memory of walking there. The witness discussed the incident with two friends, both now deceased and they had no memory of being on the craft as he did. He recalls seeing them on operating tables, but he was standing approximately 30 feet away. The craft appeared larger inside than outside, possibly 400 feet across. About 25 creatures, approximately four feet tall, were present with about 10 to 15 around him and the rest around his friends. The creatures were gray in color with large round heads and large black eyes, the creatures were touching him all over. They were speaking telepathically and were surprised when they realized that he could hear them. His mother had previously told him that psychic abilities were common in their family, but he had never really believed it. He asked why they were there. His impression was that they were friendly and curious and meant no harm. He believed that they were trying to help his two friends who both had heart problems and he believes that their lives may have been extended by the aid rendered on the craft. He remembers looking out the window and down onto the basketball court where they had been playing. He could see other beings moving about in long corridors. He remembers seeing the craft ascend after they had been returned. It moved up and to the right, then left, then up and away, leaving a rainbow-colored trail behind. When he returned to his home, his mother said he seemed changed, and he replied, it's no big deal, Mom. Before this report, he had only confided this story to his two daughters because he did not feel that anyone would believe him. I wasn't alone. I was working on a shrimp boat that was out to sea. Unbeknownst to me, most of the coastal shrimpers just go out for the day. For reasons unknown to me, our captain took us way the F out there. I think he said something about trying out new shrimping grounds. Anyway, we were heading into a storm turned out to be a Cat 2 hurricane and the boat was rocking. We got our rescue here I and waited for the inevitable. It never came, but none have slept that night. It was eerie passing through the eye. Totally calm, while everything else raged around us. We had all made our peace. The next morning we had either gone through it, or we came back the way we came. Either way, we were on the edge of the storm. The captain was tired, so we took the day off. 
The first mate and I sat on the deck for a fair bit of the day watching the last of the hurricane and the start of a new storm. We thought we had this smaller storm beat. We lowered the boom masts again and braced for heavy seas. The first mate brought along a bunch of weed and taught me how to roll a joint in your hand and how to smoke it. By this time Iz was getting late in the day and the storm was getting more energetic. Lots of thunder and lightning. We could see the reflective light and hear the thunder so we knew it was at least 10 miles out. The first mate who was pretty stingy otherwise rolled me a big old fat joint and told me to enjoy it. Of course I was in hog heaven. It never occurred to why the skinflint was sharing all this with me. He absolutely didn't have to, hadn't before, and wouldn't afterwards. At some point it dawns on me. So I ask why now, and not last night when I was wholly terrified in a life vest and hive-his ocean survival suit thing. He points off in the distance, and I see a little itty-bitty funnel cloud. Looks like a tornado. In the open water they're called water spouts, and they're just as dangerous. So I get kinda worried. The first mate laughed and said look around. There were at least 13 water spouts within a few miles of us. The first mate wasn't watching the storms. He was watching these water spouts pop up every so often, getting a little closer each time. By now the captain is awake, and we're booking it anywhere but where we were. By the time all was said and done we had gotten passed by three different spouts, got a rain of sand dollars, jellyfish, and a load of other ocean goodies. We had one go directly over us and touched down ten yards from the deck. I was scared of the hurricane, but these salty dogs were totally and completely terrified of the water spouts. It was and is by far the creepiest thing that's ever happened to me. Noises in the woods being followed by a black bear are all upsetting, but for some reason being in that boat at that time got under my skin. I am in the army and while training in Hohenfels, Germany. Our platoon was sitting on a screen line conducting an area reconnaissance mission. During the night, the guy on guard heard someone bang three times on the left side of the Bradley, which doesn't make sense because you would need another large metal object to make such a noise. Less than five seconds later, he heard the same three knocks on top of the turret. A few seconds pass and a high-pitched tone comes through the headset with three knocks on the back door of the Bradley along with someone screaming, Hey, let me in. This wakes me and one other up and we open the door thinking it's someone in our platoon who was trying to get in touch with us. There was only complete darkness. We waited about 30 seconds, geared up and checked a 50M semicircle around our Bradley finding nothing. We get back inside and every fault light in the turret is on with some blinking, they don't blink ever. The radios were also completely dead. We restarted the turret and everything worked fine. Called over the net to see if anyone was near our area and no one was. Next day we asked the OCS essentially referees and no one else was out the night prior. Shortly after, we discovered an old tank half buried and rusted out near our position. We came to the conclusion that it must have been ghost Nazis. I was camping at a popular campground in the mountains with my boyfriend. But it was November, and it was their last open weekend, so no one was there. We were chatting and having a good time around the campfire and drinking. 
My boyfriend had to go pee so he walked to the other side of the road and peed in the bushes. While over there he very slowly and quietly got my attention and pointed out the large glowing eyes staring back at him from the bushes. He still has his D out while in a stare off with a mountain lion. We very carefully backed up and stayed really close to the fire until we went to bed in the car instead of the tent. We could hear it walking around after we went to bed that night. The worst part was I went to find the pit toilet 15 minutes before this all happened. By myself. I even got slightly lost while trying to find it and was probably being stalked by the cougar. I've been pretty nervous camping ever since. I saw an elf or leprechaun, so I went off trail and started aimlessly wandering in the general direction of a peak in the Uintas. From up a steep slope and from behind some very thick tree line, I started getting pelted with green pine cones. Those shits hurt. They were flying at me from quite a distance, and I tried to angrily chase down the source, but the terrain was was too difficult to negotiate quickly. I didn't see one shape or even the hint of movement through the trees at all. It's like the pine cones were coming from absolutely nowhere and arcing perfectly through thick trees and nailing me almost unerringly. Not a one hit a single tree or branch, and that would have been impossible for me to do. Worst part? I could hear faint, high-pitched, creepy laughter. When I was about 10 years old, my mom had her second kid. We didn't have a ton of money, so it wasn't uncommon for our cars to break down or need to be repaired. Well, one day my mom, my baby sister, and I were heading to my aunt's house. She lived kinda up in the mountains, so to get there we had to take a pretty steep inclined highway, then it veered off into the more rural area where my aunt lived. About halfway up the incline, my mom's car started to sputter. We could feel the car giving out, and I remember my mom just trying to get the car as close to the exit as possible. Well, the car didn't make it, and we broke down on the side of the highway. This was before cell phones were popular, so the only way to get help was to walk to the nearest payphone. We were probably about half a mile or so away from the exit, and right off that exit was a gas station. My mom told me to get as close to the guardrail as possible, and we began walking. Within a few moments, a man pulled up beside us and asked if we needed a ride. My mom cradled my sister, shoved me to the side, and quickly said, No to the man. She did that hip bump thing that people do, and at first I was like WTF, because if I would have fallen over the rail, I would have tumbled down a pretty steep hill. But then I looked over and very clearly saw a gun on the man's front seat. It was half covered with a handkerchief, but it was clearly a small handgun. He pulled it closer to him and tried to fully conceal it, but both I and my mom had already seen it. He drove slowly beside us trying to convince my mom to get in the car, but my mom just kept saying no. But she wasn't rude or mean about it. Calm as a clam, just friendly as could be. He finally pulled off as we got closer to the exit, I'm guessing he wanted to stay on the highway. Once he pulled off, my mom looked at me and said he was going to kill us. She was still eerily calm as F. My name is Ataraxia and I'm in high school. 
Last year, I went through a bad episode of depression. I'm doing much better currently and I was scrolling on TikTok and found a video of a girl who claimed she shifted into another reality in her sleep. At that point in my life, going to another reality even just for a few hours a day sounded great to me. Out of curiosity, I looked up tutorials and other info on YouTube and it soon became an obsession. For about eight whole months, I dedicated my free time to learning how to shift. The shifting I am talking about is not the kind where people say they went to an anime or Hogwarts or whatever. My desired reality as they call it was just a normal world where some of my problems did not exist. Since there are infinite realities that are similar to ours, I hope to reach one with those qualifications. On February 8, 2023, I decided to try shifting. I wrote down the date of when I went to sleep and the details of my desired reality. I tried my best to hold my vision of me waking up in that desired reality for as long as I could, but I fell asleep and had a dream of my previous day at school. I don't think the dream had to do with anything just adding it. I woke up disappointed and grabbed my phone to turn off my alarm and I saw that my wallpaper was different. I thought it was weird, but I thought maybe I changed it accidentally somehow because the new wallpaper was an old one I had not too long again. Then things started to get strange as I got ready for school. Things were very slightly different. The pink pot on my desk no longer had the Kirby face I painted on it. My shoes were in a different cubby than I placed them in. I go to a private school so I place my school shoes in a top cubby so that they are easier to reach. I no longer had a paper cut on my thumb. My blazer was wrinkled, and in the laundry, even though I washed it and ironed it on Monday, which would be February 6, my jewelry dish was gone, and instead my earrings were just on my nightstand. Those are just a few of the differences I can remember right now. I instantly thought about the shifting thing I tried last night, and assumed the worst, which is I am in another reality. I continued on with my day and I found out that no, my problems were not gone, so this was not my desired reality. School was different too. The road lines were much more worn out than usual on the way. Someone who I didn't know personally waved at me at school. I hit my hip really hard on a bench that I have never seen while turning my usual corner pretty fast to get to bio class. Our school banner in the courtyard was different. My assigned seat for religion class was different. My apps on my laptop were arranged differently. A character I had recently gotten in a gacha game was no longer on my account, and the currency count was different game was Honkai Impact 3rd, and the character missing was Hersher of Truth, and a bunch of other small changes that I don't distinctly remember. All I could think about all day was the fact that I was somewhere different and I was not home. I have never been one to be overly stressed and have panic attacks, but the stress was overwhelming and crushing. My head and eyes were hurting by the time I got home. When I got home, I went to bed and tried to shift back. I wrote on a piece of paper, home, over and over again, and put it under my pillow shifting method and set it in my head and imagined myself waking up at home again. I fell asleep and woke up. I started crying from relief when I saw my Kirby pot with a face again. The experience felt surreal to me almost like a really vivid dream and I was very willing to peg it off as one. That's when I checked the date on my phone. It was Friday, February 10th. This meant I spent a day somewhere else. My friend that I didn't recall being with much yesterday 
as I spent my two breaks in the bathroom panicking at school, even asked me if I was alright, and that she was worried about me. Last night since I had been acting different and was very stressed out yesterday, she knows that I am struggling with depression. I said it was nothing and that I was perfectly fine. Does this mean that I switched consciousnesses with another me? And if that was the case, did we both try to shift that same night, or was it just me? Did I shift? Was this a dream? Was it something else? Either way, I took this as a sign to never try shifting ever again. Home for summers during college friends, and I would often grab a couple of 12 packs and drive off into the woods somewhere and have a little fire. Nothing crazy, just a few beers and shooting the shit. Our normal spot had gotten blown up. Someone had blocked off the road, so we decided to go off in the woods on my friend's farm. There was no road, so we are just walking through the woods in the dark, looking for a good spot when we hear coy dogs howling in the distance. Then we hear coy dogs howling from behind us. Eventually, they are howling all around us and clearly getting closer. We noped the F out and ran back to the car. I was walking on the Jedediah Smith Redwood State Park in the Stout Memorial Grove. It is approximately one mile in circumference. I was going to go to the left and circle around, but there were two young guys that started to walk off trail to a big tree, so I went to the right. I thought it was the two guys messing around, but I didn't hear any laughter after it. The hair on my arms stood up after I heard screams. I turned around immediately to leave because it was getting late, around 6.40 p.m., and the sun was starting to set. About 20 feet back down the trail, I noticed a black figure standing about 120 feet from where the two young guys were standing earlier. At first, I thought it was a bear standing up because it was about 7 feet tall and backlit by the sun. The face was partially obscured by a branch, and it was too far away to detect an odor. I took two quick photos of it and left. I didn't realize what I had photographed until later when I reviewed the photos. Unfortunately, they're bad, so I won't post them here. Also, the creature was strikingly all black, seven-foot-tall animal standing on hind legs. Its weight looked to be between 250 to 400 pounds and looked like a bodybuilder. It had a long muzzle, long pointed ears with tufts on them, really long arms with a big chest, and a smaller waist. A branch covered a portion of its face. It was about 30 yards away. This was not a bear, it looked like a werewolf. It was on a hot summer night that I was out in the dark woods with my neighbor, whom I'm pretty close with. He was like extended family, honestly. The fact that I didn't even know we were going until that night when I was sitting at home in front of my laptop playing video games. My neighbor came over to see me, and he asked me if I wanted to go camping with him and his family. It had been a while since we last did anything together, so of course I said yes. It would have just given us an excuse not to go to school for a couple of days. This was in September, so school had just started back up and the coldness of fall had not yet come, so it was perfect. The next day, his family and I gathered our camping gear. We're driving down a dark road with tall trees on the other side of it. It was getting dark quickly, 
so we had to turn the lights on, unfortunately, which means we would have had to set up in the dark. So we're driving for about an hour, but it felt like it took forever. My friend's dad turned left at an unmarked intersection where there wasn't even a sign saying that this was the right turn off the road. The road got bumpy and rocky as he drove over this very raw, unpaved road. That's when we came across a large clearing because all I could see around was trees and darkness. Where we stopped at this makeshift campground, I say that because there was no clear indicated spot to set up a tent, a spigot, a bathroom, or anything. This was truly camping just down the middle of nowhere perfect. Now I need to say that it was pitch blackout, and it had gotten really cold now that the sun had set. But we were also higher up in elevation, so we got everything set up quickly and decided we would huddle up in the tent together that my friend's father had set up for us. But I just had this feeling lingering within me that we weren't alone. Now my brain was playing tricks on me, so I decided to step out and get some fresh air. It was eerily quiet until I heard this screaming noise. My heart began pounding fast as if it knew what was coming. Then we heard a wrestling noise in the bushes, more screaming from the woods. I was so scared that my friend told me to come back into the tent. Now, not only could we all hear the noises, but then as I got back in the tent and we shined our light, we could see something moving outside the tent. This shape, my friend's dad got a flashlight shining at it. That's when this thing begins screaming and thrashing. Now we're all yelling, freaking out because we can see the shape of this thing more. It looked like an animal, but all we could see was this large shape, and it was terrifying. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Looking from the silhouette, it looked like an upright, deformed reindeer or something, and it had long claws. It was where we being pranked. I wasn't even sure. It screamed again in our direction, and we just prayed for it to leave. It walked around our tent, and we all kept our flashlights shining at it through the tent material, only revealing its silhouette. But one thing I noticed is it never came closer to the tent. It's like it was pissed that we set up camp here in its area. I get it. This probably sounds like some sort of amateur creepypasta, but tell it to my family, my friend's family, and me who have to deal with the memory of this thing. We stopped hearing it almost literally after we all pretty much urinated all over our sleeping bags out of terror. Surprisingly, none of us had any weapons on us. Somehow we all forgot. We got lucky that night, but who knows what would have happened if it were to come back and possibly check out our tent. Now of course my friend's dad regrets that he didn't bring any weapons. He forgot. He normally always carries a pistol. I went home the next day, and we didn't get any sleep that night. What was designed to be a civil day trip turned into a quick overnight terror. I've not been able to go camping since. I don't think I ever will, you know. And I'm also not sure what this thing was or where it came out of. 
I haven't really sat down to try and research either. I don't really care. I just want to get rid of this memory. The encounter only lasted a few seconds, but it was one of those what the F am I sharing airspace with moments. He was in the U.S. Navy flying P-3 subhunters back in the 80s and was on one of his many flights jumping from one island to another way out in the Pacific. At one point he was on another one of his long hauls somewhere over the ocean hundreds of miles away from anything. At around one or so his co-pilot spotted some kind of aircraft coming from the right side well ahead of them at a much lower altitude. It didn't have any position lights on or anti-collision lights, just a few night formation light strips. They could only see a bit of moonlight reflecting off it, but could tell it was something somewhat small-ish, as in not a bomber, sleek, and definitely not a B-2. Going by how it looks after the fact. This debuted in 97 or F-117 or any other plane he recognized. But it looked like it would have been a stealth fighter or attack plane for sure. My dad flashed his landing lights to basically say, Hi, we're flying here. Daffuck you doing? At this point the other plane turned off its green nighttime navigation lights and visibly picked up its pace. They got one last look at its moonlit features before it went under their nose. There was no trace of it after that. They flew the rest of the trip assuming they were being monitored very closely. Nothing ended up happening and they didn't tell anyone or so he tells me. If anything else did happen he probably isn't allowed to say. He was 100% positive it was military, but he has no idea what. Whatever it was, he clearly wasn't meant to see it, and he was flying right above it. Hundreds of miles away from civilization and thousands away from the mainland. Edit, and I should also clarify. The B-2 obviously wasn't out at the time this happened, but it was when he told me this. Knowing how it looked after the fact he was sure it wasn't a B-2. I have an older guy friend who grew up in 1950s Alaska, where his dad was a bush pilot. So one day, they're out flying around just for a nice day, and suddenly the entire sky goes red. Complete red in clouds and no radio. At the time, he's old enough to understand what was going on, but still young that they just don't talk about it. His dad continues flying for hours and not a word but still thinking that the Cold War had just ended in thermonuclear holocaust. It wasn't out of the question. Alaska was a target close to Russia, and this was the height of the Cold War. The sky is still forever red. Finally, they start to run out of fuel. They have to land, but they don't know what's going on and zero ability to find out. His dad eases the plane down, finds the landing strip, and goes in for an emergency landing. They make it down perfectly, no hiccups, bumps, or anything. The airport is besides itself red sky and an unannounced emergency landing, and a crew guy comes up to help them out. What's going on? His dad asked. You have no idea just how lucky you are. A volcano just went off, and you've been flying through the debris. Thank God no thermonuclear warfare, and they were stupidly lucky that the plane didn't stall out in the middle of nowhere Alaska with a volcano spewing nearby. When I was around 12, 15, 
I was hunting with my dad and his hunting buddy. I was with my dad and our friend was off a different trail. At the end of the day, we always met up where our trails met to walk back to the truck together. My dad was trying to teach our friend over the radios we used to use and couldn't get anything from him for about 20 minutes. As my dad and I are almost to the crossing, he comes on the radio and says he's on his way. We get there and soon after our friend shows up entirely out of breath and sweating like a pig. Mind you, we're in the north woods of Wisconsin during gun deer season, so he has very heavy clothing on, and his spot was about one miles down the trail. He goes on to tell us why he didn't answer and what happened. He was sitting in his ground blind and saw some movement in front of him. About 50 yards ahead, he saw a black bear cub, and only the cub. It sat down and started clawing at a tree trunk. He didn't move or make any noise because he knew Mama Bear was close and didn't want her to find him. He sat there watching the cub for over an hour, constantly trying to find Mama Bear, but could not get eyes on her. Finally, the cub lumbered off, and he decided it was safe to move out. By the time he answered us, it was already getting past dusk and starting to get dark. As he was walking, he heard a breath and felt hot, warm air on the back of his neck. The man is six feet four, so there's only two things that could have been tall enough to do that. A person or a standing bear. He panicked and sprinted for over a mile down the trail until he saw us. Luckily, he wasn't chased and made it back safely, just sweaty and beat. I used to hunt as a kid with my uncle and grandpa. The first time I killed a deer, I was alone, covering my side of the mountain while they ran the deer towards me. I shot a buck right in the side, but he was just a button buck, only nubs for horns. I thought it was a doe, so that's why I shot it. I was so excited, right up until I walked up to the deer and it was gasping for air. I shot it in the lung, it was horrible. I felt awful, I cried. I didn't know what I had just done. When my uncle found me like 45 minutes later, me sitting next to the deer I just killed, he was so excited, but he could tell I wasn't. We dragged it out of the woods, butchered it up that night and made burgers. I couldn't finish mine, just didn't feel right. Never went hunting again. I was 15 or 16 at the time, so I was old enough to understand what was going on. Anytime anyone talks about hunting, I think back to that morning. I have no problem with people hunting, by all means, but I could never go again. A 26 female recently moved from the U.S. to the Balkans for a summer legal internship. After a few days of getting settled in my home for the summer, I decided to sign up for a gym nearby my apartment to serve as a self-care ritual and blow off steam after tough work days. Coming home from my first workout at the new gym, Endorphins on 100, I noticed at a crosswalk that a man across from this busy street where I was stopped was staring at me. Now this is not super uncommon as I have found in my new home, and I have gotten used to dealing with occasional male stares, but they are usually very brief. This guy, however, was not looking away. I stared back for a full beat, so I know he knows I saw him, hoping that would be the end of it and then turned my head away to continue down the street trying to avoid a creepy feeling that this wasn't the end of the interaction. From what I could tell, he didn't cross the lengthy street to meet me, 
and probably just continued down from his side. Next thing I know, about two minutes later, I'm at a crosswalk about to cross, when I see him in my peripheral next to me at the stop. How he crossed the street and sped up to meet me so quickly is either a reflection of his cunning and athletic prowess, or my general lack of observational skills. Standing next to me now, he is still staring at me, but I try not to tip him off to my noticing this. I take off as fast as I can when it's safe to cross the crosswalk, and naturally, he matches my pace, a step or so behind me, still staring. Here I find myself in a familiar situation that I imagine many who have been followed also find themselves in. It is a critical juncture, if you will, where you ask, is this someone following me or a silly misunderstanding? I begin to ask myself, am I overreacting? I have been followed many a time before, sadly, and so I have found that the best way to handle it is try to cut the baby in half, so to speak. I give them the benefit of the doubt to prove to me they aren't doing what I fear they are doing, while also trying to avoid any situation that would escalate the danger or cue him off to where I am going. Trust, but verify. So I decide to zip quickly toward another street. Not my own, we were like one block from my apartment by the time I noticed him at the crosswalk with me, in the hopes that he would prove me wrong and not continue to follow me. This was a busy intersection, and there were about six different streets to follow from the crosswalk. He follows me down this random street of choice, where there is truly only residential buildings, no stores or restaurants he could be headed toward to explain him choosing this street, unless he lived nearby. I do something I have done before, when followed, to test the other person. I slow down and speed up my pace randomly to see if they match mine or like a normal person heading somewhere try to walk by me as there was plenty of room to do so on this street. Within a block or so I realized he was definitely following, definitely still staring. But not only that, with every few steps, I felt his presence, keeping pace, was also subtly getting closer and closer to me. The sun is setting at this point, and we are walking towards a part of town I don't know as well. The spirit moves, and I decide to make a break for it. I slow down as slow as I have gone throughout this whole pursuit, checking my peripheral, and jettison myself across the street until I get to the other side. I look back once I am there to see that he is now looking across the street and moving toward it to follow me more. But this time, I give him the meanest glare I can muster, and reach for my bag as if to suggest that I reaching for pepper spray or something hadn't bought some yet in reality, because I had just moved to town a few days before. He notices the gestures, makes eye contact, stops, and then literally turns his head away to feign looking at the numbers on the street like he was lost or looking for a specific spot, as if he hasn't been slowing up and speeding down with me for the past ten minutes, not looking anywhere but at my backside. Acting 010 for capturing the innocence of someone definitely not creepily following a woman half his age back from the gym for twenty plus minutes. He continues to pretend to look around, glance back at me, look around some more, glance back at me, and when he looks away for the third time, I decide now is the time to truly make a break for it. I begin booking it down the opposite street, while occasionally peering back to see if he kept following. I take a bunch of well-lit, busy streets, employing random unnecessary turns, as I have when I have been followed before. Eventually, once I check out the whole street and feel confident I have lost him, 
I finally calculate my way back home. The next day, I asked a friend from work who is local to take me to get some pepper spray. I bought a mini version, the smallest size, that can easily fit a purse. The pepper spray's brand's name for a bottle of this size is literally called Madam, which is emblazoned across the side of the bottle in bright pink lettering. Third shift in a children's residential facility, which is a 100-year-old orphanage. Now it's for abused kids with behavioral emotional problems. A lot of them have nightmares regularly and so in the dead of night. I'll be startled out of my rounds because someone will scream or something. Some of the kids talk in their sleep and sleepwalk and it's creepy as F. There's the kid who will wake up and open his door and just stare at you for about a minute before quietly closing his door and going back to sleep. One time he opened his door and zombied his way over to my coworker and I, dead-eyed and slack-jawed, and we were like, dude, what? And he finally goes, I want biscuits, shit. And we were like, get the F out and go to bed. Not that great of a story. Walking around the grounds at night with my head full of other staff stories about parents showing up to try and steal their kids back. Never happened to me, but did happen to another staff before, and I'm a paranoid person. We have a ton of ghost stories about this place, though because the facility was built in the 1-800s to handle the influx of orphans produced by a cholera epidemic in the area. The building is old as hell and full of hidden tunnels and passageways that staff can use to get around fast, but like hell I go in any of them. Staff who have been here longer have ghost stories about seeing shadows, hearing things, etc. I have none, but one time I was taking a kid to the basement to do laundry, and he stops and goes, Mrs. X, there was a man standing in that room, but he's gone now, and I was like, well, it was probably a ghost, little dude. Let's get this laundry done. Honestly, though, the creepiest shit around here usually happens during the day with the little dudes are awake. Love them, though. Did some sailing in the past with my family in the Caribbean, and one night we anchored by Norman Island, the island that is allegedly Treasure Island from the Robert Louis Stevenson tale. The typical anchoring area in deeper water was pretty full by that point, so we ended up going to a less sheltered area closer to the beach. But it wasn't a big deal as it was fairly calm. Anyway, as night fell, the water became luminescent. There were these jellyfish that would light themselves from inside in what looked like a glowing green clover thousands of them. I'd never seen or heard of anything like it and it was only happening near the shore where we were it made us happy the deeper anchorage was full as we never would have seen it. They died down after about a half hour when it was getting truly dark out, but before bed I dipped my foot in the water and the jellyfish nearest me started all lighting up again. One giant nope and my foot was out of the water before they got any ideas. Come to think of it, that was also the night of the 2003 US invasion of Iraq so we spent it listening to the BBC report over the shortwave radio in the dark, watching these luminescent jellyfish all around us. What a surreal evening. This took place in 2019. One night, coming home from a friend's party, it was me, my girlfriend, my brother, his girlfriend, 
and her friend we had an extra seat, and she was staying with us. We were making our way home and decided to take a road that would cut our travel time down. Everything was cool until my brother wanted to stop at the gas station to get gas and food since he believed in the classic gas-out cliché. We arrived at the gas station, and he decided to go in and get food while I stayed with the girls. Everything was going normally until a big black 18-wheeler semi-truck pulled into the station. We thought nothing of it. I wasn't paying much attention to him until he got out of the truck and stared at us. When I say staring, he was looking into our souls. Now I was worried, and my brother was still in the store. We couldn't see his face as he had a hoodie on, covering his entire face. I was skeptical, and so were the girls. He was doing a lot of suspicious things, like going behind the trailer, peeking his head around, and even walking on the other side of our car and standing there. We locked the doors, and I immediately called my brother who held the door for him. The two bumped into one another. My brother had food and got into the car. We immediately sped off, heading towards the highway. There was this long stretch of road before getting back on the main highway. We were talking about the truck and how weird he was acting. Some time went by, and that same truck had followed us. But he passed us at fast speeds, nearly taking us off the road. We couldn't make anything out because it was a white trailer with no company labels. We were scared now, and we put it to full speed. We had lost him since our car was faster. Long story short, we got back to our house and parked our car in the garage. Now that we were settling down, all chilling in the living room, we saw bright lights outside our house, and it was the same truck passing through. It was scary because trucks never pass on our road. We were scared that he had followed us. Turning the lights off, we waited the whole night to see if he'd return, but he never did, and we never saw him again. It was one of the truly creepy experiences we had seen before. Ages ago, when my father was still racing small sailboats, he did a number of races that took multiple days. So he and the crew would have to spend at least one night on the water. One particular race had started under nasty weather conditions that quieted down to light fog in the evening. My dad and the crew were exhausted and looking forward to taking turns getting some well-needed sleep. My dad's buddy took the first watch on deck while the rest of them went to bed. It seemed like only minutes had passed when the guy on watch shook my dad awake. You have to see this, you have to tell me I'm not crazy, was all his buddy would say. Now pretty spooked, my dad went up on deck to see what had scared his friend so much. The guy pointed into the dark fog, and suddenly my dad saw a pair of glowing eyes. They turned this way and that like a creature lazily looking around. Sometimes it would look away, but it would eventually turn back to gaze in their direction. For a moment dad thought it must be some bizarre kind of lighted boy, but the movement pattern was completely random and the eyes were moving up and down completely at odds with the movement of the waves. And it was getting closer. Confused, exhausted, and now pretty damn concerned, my dad woke the rest of the crew and brought everybody up to see this thing. Yep, everybody saw it, but nobody could identify it as anything other than eyes. The movement was so eerie, and it was approaching pretty fast. As it swam closer, it was clear that whatever it was, it was enormous. 
Now everyone was starting to freak out. Dad had no idea what to do except to try to move out of its way, but the damn monster kept moving around. The crew finally determined its rough path and altered course to avoid it. It was getting very close now. They could hear the rush of water around its bulk and a strange groaning and hissing. It was getting closer and closer. Blat. Everyone's heart stopped when the horn shattered the night. Suddenly they saw dim navigation lights through the fog and realized the monster was riding a big-ass barge. They watched in silence as the bulk of the barge materialized. As it passed alongside, they realized it was carrying a load of garbage, and there was a little bulldozer driving around pushing the garbage into tidy piles. The monster's eyes were the headlights moving around, climbing up and down the mounds and circling around the deck. They were pretty relieved, but then Dad realized that they had basically almost run into a giant barge. So nobody got much sleep that night as they kept watch for more monsters in the fog.